Hello and welcome to the GTR News Brief. It's Wednesday, May the 13th, and here are the top stories from the world of trade and trade finance today. Small businesses in the UK are still struggling to access emergency finance from Barclays. The government-backed Bounce Back loan scheme was launched last week and was aiming to support firms hit by COVID-19. In just the first 24 hours, hundreds of thousands of applications were reportedly made to the seven big lenders, over half of which were approved. But GTR has spoken to several businesses who say they have not yet been able to access emergency financing from one of those lenders, Barclays. Although as of May 10th, the bank says it has approved just under 70,000 bounce back loans with a total value of £2.1 billion. The Japan Bank for International Cooperation, otherwise known as JBIC, has come under fire for its continued support of coal projects. The export credit agency's governor, Tadashi Maeda, said in an interview recently that the bank will no longer back coal projects. However, in reality, it has not revealed any official plans to curtail such funding. In fact, the ECA is reportedly weighing up whether to support the Vung Ang 2 coal project in Vietnam. And now turning our attentions to Brazil and the soft commodity finance sector. A major liberalisation in Brazil's agribusiness laws looks set to improve foreign lenders' collateral options for commodity and trade finance facilities, which are key to supporting the country's soft commodity exports. The law, enacted in April, promises to provide greater legal security to foreign banks financing trade in commodities such as soy and corn. For a closer analysis of this story and the others, head to the GTR news page for more. Now, we turn our attentions to one of our most popular stories from last week to take a closer look at what went on. It goes without saying, countries and companies around the world have to be incredibly vigilant when it comes to trade. They have to watch out and make sure they're not involved in any deal with a sanctioned country or one with ties to criminals. Now, a new report from an influential standard-setting body says the United Arab Emirates has been too lax in guarding against such risks. One of our senior reporters, John Basquill, who covered this story, explains to me what the report is and what it means for the UAE. So the report is by the Financial Action Task Force, uh, who are a global organisation. Uh, they set standards for fighting money laundering, terrorist financing, uh, other financial crime. Um, every country is subject to a, a detailed review. It's called a mutual evaluation. Uh, the re- uh, it's a review of the measures uh, that country has in place to stop those things happening in the first place and then to take enforcement action when they do happen. Um, the whole cycle of assessment takes several years. In the case of the UAE, the report is critical uh, on multiple fronts. Uh, when it comes to trade, there are probably two main issues. Uh, one is ineffectiveness around implementing UN sanctions and two is a vulnerability to trade-based money laundering. And John, can you tell me what the new sanctions regime is and why it's important here? The UN sanctions regime covers several countries, uh, Iran, Iraq, North Korea, Libya, uh, several others, um, and also some specific terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS. Countries are are expected to incorporate that into their domestic legal framework. Um, so banks or, or corporates wouldn't be allowed to trade with companies or with individuals that are linked to those countries or to those groups. Um, in the case of the UAE, the report says its implementation uh, of those sanctions was minimal. 
Uh, it says there is low awareness of the risks among um, authorities and in the private sector. Uh, and it says that basic steps like asset freezing, for example, um, haven't been taken. Uh, that does line up with some of what we've seen elsewhere. Um, so, for example, with Iran, the US government recently uh, accused several companies based in the UAE of enabling Iran to circumvent sanctions and export uh, petroleum products. Um, we also know at the moment there's a UN investigation into the sale of jet fuel from the UAE into Libya. Uh, and in the report, the FATF report, it gives an example of North Korean diplomats who were potentially involved in cash smuggling, but weren't subject to any asset freezing measures. Can you explain a bit more about what trade-based money laundering is? Trade-based money laundering is, is a broad term, an umbrella term. Essentially, it covers any attempt to, uh, to disguise the origin of illicit money. So in other words, the proceeds of crime, uh, specifically through international trade transactions. Uh, so a typical example could be falsifying invoices. So, for example, uh, where the value of goods being shipped is actually a lot lower than the value stated on the invoice from the outside. That looks like a legitimate transaction, but it's a way of getting the proceeds of crime from A to B. Um, generally speaking, globally, the scale of trade based money laundering is believed to be huge, uh, but most of it goes undetected. Uh, and in terms of who's doing it, it's really quite broad. There are examples of um, laundering money from drug trafficking, smuggling, organised crime and so on, uh, or to evade sanctions or to fund terrorist activity. Uh, but really any kind, of, uh, any kind of criminal activity that generates funds um, can be linked to trade-based money laundering. And why is the UAE so vulnerable to trade-based money laundering? Uh, there are a few factors in the UAE. Um, it's a major financial centre uh, and a trading hub. Um, it has several financial and commercial free zones. Um, uh, so two financial free zones and I think 29 commercial free zones. It's also geographically close to conflict zones and countries that are subject to international sanctions. Uh, the UAE is also a major oil exporter uh, and also a major exporter of gold and diamonds. Um, all of which creates potential avenues for laundering money through trade. Um, but despite those risks, uh, what the report says is, is the UAE's effectiveness in investigating uh, money laundering and prosecuting money laundering, uh, as well as uh, penalising companies that are involved in facilitating financial crime, are all, they're all scored as uh, low, which is the lowest score that the FATF could give to a country. And finally, what does the report actually mean for the UAE? Is it a big deal? Yeah, countries do generally take these reviews seriously. Um, in the case of the UAE, the report talks about measures, uh, several measures that were taken recently, uh, too recently for their effectiveness uh, to actually be measured. Um, uh, and it also recommends several other improvements that it should make. Uh, for example, prosecuting money laundering, increasing penalties for companies that are involved in illicit activity and so on. Um, ultimately, the risk with these reviews is that a country is added to uh, the so-called grey list or black list, um, which is a, a list of high-risk jurisdictions maintained by the FATF. If that, uh, if that happens to a country, it can become much more difficult to do business uh, there. Banks tend to become more risk-averse. Um, so, for example, that's currently the issue Pakistan is facing at the moment. It has until June this year to finalise a series of domestic reforms, or it could be added to the list. Um, but for the UAE, that, that process takes quite a long time um, uh, and so that 
prospect is still quite a long way off for the UAE. Um, so far, there hasn't been any public response from the government uh, of the UAE. We contacted the Ministry of Finance and, and didn't hear anything back. Uh, and I've seen the same reported in other publications too. Um, so at the moment, we don't know what the next steps are likely to be. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GTR News Brief. We'll have more big stories from the world of trade and trade finance soon.